But you need a little bit of encouragement this morning. I know that because the Lord told me you needed a little bit of encouragement. So there's, there's a verse that has been haunting me. I mean, literally, it's been living in my house. Like, I have a presence in my house besides my wife and my dog. There is a verse that's just been floating around. And like, every time I turn around, it's like, oh, there you are again. And this thing has just been haunting me, and today's the day. I actually was going to preach on seed time and harvest, which I think is a really, really important word. I, I just want to, for those of us just not sure how the end turns out, which I'm one of those, I'm just, you know, one of the guys um, said a long time ago that I believe in the pan theory. It's going to all pan out, you know, eventually, you know. Um, so I, I'm certain of this, Jesus is returning. I am certain of that. And I'm certain that it's soon because that's what he said. Uh, how all that works out is still a little bit of a mystery. And I sort of think that as we get closer to it, it's going to become even more apparent. But see, here's the thing is that a lot of times what happens is when a lot of things go wrong in the world and the culture, that you start asking yourself this question, is this the end? And it's a fair question. You know, we should probably wake up and say, is Jesus coming back today? I mean, that's a fair question, you know. But I just want to say I'm believing that for the sake of a billion Muslims who have yet to call on Jesus, that we have time. I'm believing the Lord for time. And I'm believing for the sake of unbelieving and unrepentant uh, around us everywhere, for the nation of Israel and others, that, that we have time. But I just there's just this wonderful promise that God gave to Noah. So when Noah got out of the ark, he just, you know, he the first thing he did was just to glorify Jesus. And the most extravagant thing he could think of was to take of the clean animals that he had brought on board the ark. He took some of them and and it was really a sacrifice because he, when he slayed them and, and burnt them before the Lord, it, it was like part of the inventory of restocking the earth, you know. So it was costly. And the scriptures record that, that, that God smelled the carcass of burning animals. No, not that. When God smelled the beauty of Noah's obedience and his sacrifice which was, after all, why he was called Noah. He, he was the man of grace. Like when God looked at the earth and saw wickedness everywhere, this one man brought a smile to God's face. And God says, I'm going to do something with you and through you. On the other side of that, Noah made God smile again. How wouldn't, I, I just live, love to live my life to make God smile. I like to live to make the devil have bad days, feel depressed. Wouldn't you like to see the devil be depressed, you know? If you've ever suffered from depression, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to give the devil depression? If you've ever had migraines, wouldn't it be great to give him migraines? But even more than that, to just make God smile. And that's what Noah did. And God, God becomes a giddy little kid. He is so excited about what Noah has just done that he promises Noah. He said, I promise you, I will never again destroy the earth because of man. We need to add that to our theology. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. So what does that mean? That means that we've got some good seed to sow. We've got some bad seed to uproot. But a lot of what's going on isn't necessarily God or the devil, but seed that we have sown. This country is reaping many things that she has sown. It's not all been good. So we can't blame everything on God or the devil. Seed time and harvest. If you want a different harvest, start planting different seeds. That's that. On with that. Move to the word that haunts me, though, the verse is found in, in uh, Psalm 11. <clears throat> now, 
I shared with you, some of you, that after three or so years of praying through the Psalms and, and God just building this warfare spirit inside of me and, you know, that, that now the Spirit of God just a few weeks ago said, now I want you to look deeper. So I'm looking deeper into the Psalms, trying to get it, trying to figure out how it all plays out with the New Testament, you know, and uh, our understanding that Jesus has brought us. So... Um, one of the places where we can look is in Psalm 11, and, and it's just a, I, I tell you, it's just a little sleeper chapter, chapter you know, it, it can just kind of sneak up on you, but, but he starts it out by saying, oh, by the way, if you need uh, a slip of paper with the scriptures on it, um, Troy's got some in the back, just raise your hand, he'll bring it to you. It's Psalm 11 printed out for you. It's COVID-free. Hallelujah. It's COVID free, trust me. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. While you're getting this um, chapter in front of you, let me just say that if, if, for example, that Jesus himself would say that a house divided against itself could not stand then I ask myself the question, what if the foundation of the house crumbles? That's a phrase that's out there. The foundations are crumbling everywhere you look. Let me just remind you that three great foundations that God has laid, one of them is for the family. His first institution, the first institution that God created was the family. Second institution, and we see this nonetheless even in the chapter I just quoted from in Genesis where Noah coming out of the ark and what, what, what God does is he says that from this point on, I'm going to put the fear of man in the animals. So if an animal kills a man, you will kill that animal. That's called justice. And then he takes it one step further and he said, if a man kills a man, then by the hand of man, you will kill that man. That's called capital punishment. But more than that, that's like the beginning of God's idea of earthly government, not heavenly, but earthly government. It's to restrain evil. The purpose biblically for government is to restrain evil on the earth. You have laws and people abide by them or they don't if they break the laws then then there is a way for um, meeting out justice so first institution that God created is family the second one I think we could actually call the government and the third and the one that we're most concerned about here this morning I think is the church that institution because that institution right there becomes the mediating institution between families and government and so many things it's God's delivery system of good news the church is the way that God delivers the good news can I just say something for New Hope Ministries food pantry, local place that we are all in love and are involved with, and I encourage you to support them, encourage you to volunteer there. They have taken perhaps 80% of the, the, the load that the church, our church, and churches around us have had upon us when people come to the church looking for financial help and food help and... Um, getting on their feet, people that are suddenly, for one reason or other, either systemically or temporarily, uh, find themselves in poverty. Uh, New Hope Ministries has gr given new hope to so many people, and I'm so thankful to be uh, on their board, and we've served there 
we encourage you to serve there as well, there's a pathway to do it. Just go to their website and fill out that form to become a volunteer. But when, when New Hope Ministries and people like them look at a society and they're trying to figure out like how to help people, um, one of the things we want to do is let them experience the love of God. And that can happen a lot of times through giving someone something in the name of Jesus. And um, many lives have been touched. And that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But that's not like the church's main job. Our, our main job, our main mission is that we peddle hope and we peddle the good news. We peddle uh, truth and we carry with us. And I know a lot of people are opting out right now, but it's the wrong time to opt out of the church. I'm going to tell you because just when you think that it couldn't get any worse, all of a sudden God does something and he restores it. So when you're asking yourself um, about the foundations, um, I, I think that it would be foolish for people to neglect that great institution we call the church and the things that God has done in it and is doing in it worldwide. I love the church. I hope you do too. I've given our lives to serve it. But... When foundations are crumbling, it's easy for people to lose hope. It's easy for people to say there's nothing good happening and there's no one you can trust or nowhere you can turn and many things begin to go through our minds. And that's why this verse haunts me. This verse is found in Psalm 11 and it's verse number 3 and We'll just look at this psalm and see what it meant to David and then see how it kind of applies to us. The question is this. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Okay, so that's a rhetorical question. And you always seem foolish to try to answer a rhetorical question, you know, because... The person who's sharing the rhetorical question basically wants to say, I didn't want you to answer it. I just, I, I just you know, it's, it's just a, a means of communication. So I'm going to be the fool today, and I'm going to try to answer that question. What can the righteous do when the foundations are destroyed? Well, it turns out quite a lot. There's a lot that can be done. And I, I'm here to encourage you to reconsider. Not give up. Don't give up. What can be done? I want to go into that in just a moment, but let me tell you what shouldn't be done. What we shouldn't do is look at the world situation, particularly right here in America or Western culture or wherever you happen to live and move. What we shouldn't do is run and hide. That's no answer. It's never been an answer. I know it's tempting. We, that's learned behavior. When you were young, you learned in the playground, if there's a bully, well, sometimes we don't learn that lesson real quickly, you know, but, you know, experience is a great teacher. And all you, all you have to do is run in, into a bully once or twice and you've learned a lesson and that is that when bullies come, you should run and hide. And we don't realize it, but we sometimes carry that mentality into our adulthood. So when there's problems and there's challenges, and especially when you've got um, something going on in, in the culture and media that's trying to suppress conversation, especially open, real, honest conversation, one of the things that begins to happen is like, you know what? Every time I open my mouth, I get in trouble with someone. Hello, that's my job, is to be in trouble at all times, you know. <clears throat> Oftentimes, people will say to me, Pastor, how are you doing? I'll say, fine, I think. You go next. (laughs) 
You tell me if I'm doing okay, because I know you want to. Instead of just saying right straight from the heart, you know, I'm enjoying life. I get to live with this beautiful woman. I get to have a beautiful family. I get to live in a beautiful home, in a beautiful city, with beautiful children and grandchildren, especially among my friends in this beautiful church. I get to live this beautiful life. I, I, you know, I wouldn't change or trade my life for anyone else's. I get to do this. But I don't know about you. I'm sort of almost feel guilty saying that because some, so many others are not experiencing that. So the question would be, how do you get there? And let me just tell you that at um, this momentous age that I am today, I can tell you this. You never get there by running and hiding. When there's problems, you need to face them head on. You don't need to be arrogant. You don't need to be self-righteous. You just need to say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm just going to raise my hand and say, I know that everybody is saying X, Y, and Z, but I can just tell you this. I don't feel that way at all. And, you know, the funny thing is when you have courage, you give other people courage. And they begin to speak up. So we can't run and hide. Second thing we can't do is pretend there's no problems. That's just like a false sense of, you know, like a positive attitude. I like positive better than negative attitudes. But don't mistake positive attitude for faith. But, but you know, I, I think that it's never, ever uh, helpful to stick your head in the sand or put your fingers in your ear and go, la, la, la. You know, it's like there's no problems. I don't see anything. I, I don't hear anything. There's nothing going wrong in our world. And I, I, I just want it to be that way. The closest thing I have to that is when I put my headset on and play bass. When I put my headset on, I step into paradise. It's just beautiful. I've got Gary singing in my ear. I've got Jim playing keys in the background. I've got David carooning. I've got all this stuff going on, and it's like paradise. Now, outside, I don't know what's, what you guys are hearing, but I'm hearing paradise. Like, I'm the world's greatest bass player inside my headphones, you know. <laughs> Knowing Ryan, he probably turned me off. You don't even hear anything out here, but I am having a great time loving Jesus. This is paradise. Yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you something? If you determine to worship Jesus in spite of what's going on around you, it will change your world. It may not change the world, but it will change your world. So we can't run and hide. We can't pretend it's not there. And the, and the third thing is we just can't give up. You just can't give up. Can I just tell you that there's too much at stake? I just figured this out. There are so many lives that your life is interconnected and interwoven with. You can't give up. Can I just, from the Spirit of God, with everything inside of me, just tell you that you cannot give up? Please. Don't give up. If you're ready to give up, please let someone know so that they can encourage you. How many of you were encouraged by Chris's message last Sunday? Awesome message. Chris just knocked it out of the park. He's, I told him last night, I said, you're a rock star. You've got more views than anybody in the world. You know, you know he's just doing really, really well. And um, I think that message that he shared about choices was so Profound and his heart, his delivery was so perfectly aligned. Chris needs to speak more often. And he would tell you, we would tell you together that though the challenges are real and though they're there, you cannot give up. And if you've made a bad choice, we get to worship Jesus who's the one who takes our failures and our mistakes and he has a way of turning them around. He can take your past, no matter how 
difficult, how many turns and twists, how many bad choices, how many other choices we've made, and he can make something beautiful out of it. You, that, you don't know the truth of that as much as you should. Jesus can change a man's heart. Jesus can change a woman's heart. He can change your past. He can transform you. He's transforming nations right now. America might be in trouble, but it, Jesus is transforming nations right now. And there's actually more people in this country who love Jesus than you think. So, my friend Katie is our resident um, architectural engineer, wannabe, or student. Katie's inspired me so many times. I have a book, it's called why buildings fall down. It's not one of the most spiritual books I've ever read, but sometimes it's one of the more important ones. And I can tell you that in 1945, shortly after World War II was concluded, that a uh, B-29 bomber flew into the Empire State Building. Ten tons of steel loaded with gasoline, fuel, rocket fuel, whatever, airplane fuel. And the Empire State Building. Now, you remember seeing the uh, towers fall, so they're newer buildings than the Empire State Building. Remember seeing those towers crumble and fall? Well, the Empire State Building, a little bit old school, built with uh, rivets and steel, put together in such a way that the building, when that plane slammed into it, at 200 mile an hour just twisted shook and stood stand strong hallelujah praise your name wonderful the one thing I learned Katie in the book is that the predominant reason why buildings fall down is because they have not built redundancy in the structure or in the system, which means that you can't just have one method of holding that building together. It has to be interconnected. It has to be woven together. It has to be anchored in various different places so that if one area, by the way, one of the engines from that airplane went right through the building into the um, elevator shaft and went all the way to the bottom. So it, it penetrated the building. But the building didn't fall down because it had redundancy built into it. And I feel like that this is a country that needs to understand that the redundancy is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to have liberty alone. <clears throat> a democracy by itself, even as the founding fathers were putting the structure of a constitution together, laboring over it months. The thing they labored the most over was what the presidency would look like because that's the guy that ends up looking the most like a king. So there was an idea maybe we'd make three presidents and they would make decisions together. Or maybe there'd be a longer terms or all kinds of things were thrown out there. But the problem was that they came up with all these checks and balances, such as a judiciary and a Congress to make laws. And then even the, the media was supposed to be able to report on bad government. <clears throat> that the one thing that they struggled with the most was the presidency. So the only thing they could do, the only way they could figure this out was to have short terms, have the person elected by the people and a way to remove them if they were bad. And what we call checks and balances actually was redundancy. So I'm going to tell you in my unprofessional opinion, 
our government is broken and needs repair desperately. And the only redundancy that will redeem our government is actually not another president, but it is a revival in the church of God. And the church of God speaking to power, speaking truth to power, and reminding people of the ethics and the morals and the principles of very simple, simple English that we once knew a long time ago. So, we've got family. We know that's been redefined. We've got the church. She struggles with uh, doctrine. She struggles with schisms and splits. She struggles with corruption. And we've got um, the government. And I don't know about you, but corruption can actually invade all three of those. That doesn't mean any one of them is wrong or bad. It just means that the human heart has the propensity that left unattended. If you don't tend to your garden, the human heart wants what it wants. And I'm going to tell you, in my humble opinion, the next thing the human heart is going to want with respect to sexual liberty and sexual freedom is going to be what we used to call pedophilia. It's going to be 40-plus-year-old men saying that young 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl looks to me like an adult if she can sense what's wrong. By the way, you remember what's wrong? Is she may look like an adult, but she has a child's mind. That's why you can't give in. That's why you cannot let that, that line be blurred. <laughs> She's still a child, no matter what she looks like. I remember watching a TED Talk. One of the ladies that was on the uh, uh, cover of Cosmopolitan magazine, she decided to come out and say, I'm going to tell you something, this whole fashion industry is built in a a very sexual way and she said we have got to change it we have got to have reforms in our advertising in our fashion industries and she showed a picture of herself and I'm telling you when you saw the picture of herself the way she was dressed the way she was made up you would have no idea that this young girl had never yet had her first period or menstrual cycle. She had not experienced that yet, but her people around her sexualized her and turned her into an art piece and a a way to make money. I'm just painting a picture here. You should drop your drink right now. I just want to paint a picture and remind you, there's, this is not time to run away. This is not time to pretend it doesn't happen. This is not the time to quit. But the question is still out there. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, it turns out we can do a lot. That is if the Lord is our refuge. Let's go to the psalm. In Psalm 11, it starts out with this wonderful verse saying, In the Lord I take refuge. Now, when you read these verses, it's so easy, it's so easy for me to gloss over them. They, they're so poetic. They just come out, and when you're praying them, it's a truth. So you don't even have to really fully understand it. But if you do go deeper and say, What in the world is happening here? And I, <clears throat> There's a deeper truth that, believe me, is more relevant to our day than you might give it credit for, more than I gave it credit for. So let's just give a run at it here. Let's just look at this. The first thing I want to remind you of is that this is a Psalm of David. I want to remind you who David was. He was the new king. He was anointed to be king instead of Saul. Why was he anointed king while the king still lived? Because King Saul who started out so humbly, who started out so innocently, who started out so well. His heart was turned and he became corrupt. And one of the things that corrupted him was jealousy and rage and anger and he consults uh, witches and mediums at one point. It just, he's in a downward spiral. And, and God's actually saying to David, 
as David is on the backside of the desert learning how to tend to sheep. He's learning all that he needs to know about God. And as he's learning about God, he knows one thing, and that is that sheep absolutely have to be somehow penned in. They have to be put in some kind of a safe place because you can't have 300 sheep and protect them all. You've got to back them into some kind of a, a cave or you back them into some kind of a, a ravine or something and then you somehow sort of pen off the front area and, and then you sit at the gate, which is why Jesus is the gate, you know. You, you sit at the gate and so if there's a wolf for a lamb, I mean a, a lion coming after the lambs, then they have to come through you. So the shepherd is, his whole goal is to lead these sheep around and let them eat. So the life of a lamb, eating, pooping, reproducing, repeat. very valuable though their 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 wool is very valuable plus in a sacrificial system you need lambs without spot so david is learning every leadership lesson he needs to know leading sheep and then one day god anoints him king and from the day that David is anointed king, and Saul learns of it. Saul and his army are literally chasing David everywhere, trying to kill him. Everywhere, all throughout Israel, trying to capture this young man and kill him. Why? Because he was such a threat to his kingdom. So he had an enemy. He knew what enemies were like. But the thing is that God had a way of dealing with King Saul. He had a way of developing David. And there was a point in David's life when he started inspiring other men. The men who society had overlooked, cast away, some of the, um, well, you probably wouldn't want your daughters dating some of David's men. But David took that ragtag group of people and he spoke nobility into their heart. So David was not a king. He was not from a noble line. But he had a noble scripture. He had a noble word. He had truth. And he lived by it, and he loved the Lord his God. And by living by that word and by living by that lifestyle, nobility was birthed in him, and he had the ability to look at another man and call nobility out of them. Next thing you know, David's got an army. <clears throat> Saul's getting weaker. David's getting stronger. David has opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He just proves to him that he means him no harm. Saul's like, I'm an idiot. Please come close, David. And then he tries to kill him again. David becomes the king, and he becomes the most powerful king. He's, he becomes the gold standard of Israeli kings. Every other king is compared to Saul. He either was righteous like, like David. I'm sorry, David, not Saul. He's, he was, the king was either righteous and good like David or they were unrighteous and bad, unlike David. You know, he becomes the gold standard. So he's got advisors and he's got generals. I'm all into generals right now. And these advisors, these friends, this motley crew that he's spoken nobility would say something to him like in verse number one. Flee as a bird to the mountain. Flee as a bird to the mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. They shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. In other words, his advisors are saying to him, Saul's men 
are going to position around places where you will visit snipers and they will kill in the night. They will take you out when you least expect it. So David, don't be a fool. Flee to the mountains. And David's response to these men who he loves and these men who he's trained, these men who he leads, is to say this. It's a declaration. He makes a declaration. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. I will not take refuge in the mountains. I will not take refuge in you. I will not take refuge in the chariot. I will not take refuge in the horse. I will not take refuge in my sword. It's in the Lord I take refuge. And then David says, how can you say, or how can you say to my soul? This is like self-talk. This is the kind of stuff you hear from the enemy. You hear from friends. You hear from logic. You hear it. Your, your own spirit will tell you, and you have to sift it out. He starts sifting it out, and he says, How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow they make ready their arrow upon the string they shoot in darkness at the upright in heart and then this verse that is haunting me is actually saying something else here it's a part of the things that is being said to him is basically if the government Saul is corrupt what can you a righteous man do how can you fight it how can you stand up against it? How can you actually position yourself to make it through when everything is against you? And Saul rejects that as well as everything else that he's been told. And he says, in the Lord I take refuge. It's in him that I take refuge. America, it's in the Lord you need to take refuge. I love your science. I love your politicians. I love them all. I own them. I pray for them. They're all a part of my responsibility in prayer. But I'm telling you that this country has got to return. We as a people have to lead them there. We have to be the one who says it's in the Lord. It's in the Lord I take refuge. Which, by the way, is why I'm not flippant, but I'm not concerned about pandemics, earthquakes, tsunamis, wildfires, the destruction of lives and planets. I am not. And I am not making a plan to move to Mars. I think that the guys who want to move to Mars, we should say, let me help you pack. You guys go to Mars, and you be what you want to be in Mars. We're just going to live here, okay? <laughs> because it's in the Lord that I take refuge. See, the thing is, is that if you catapult your faith in God, you're on your own. You're only stuck with your science and your logic. There's no other way out. But when you're back is against the wall and you have no place to turn and you say, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's in the Lord that I take refuge. Now, verse number four, as is classic for David and his Psalms, is that he begins to give the reasons why. In verse number four, the Lord is in his holy temple. So like, I don't have to go to the mountains. What about the mountains? The mountains were high places. The mountains, they're like in the sky. And it's like where heaven and earth overlap each other, right? So I don't have to go there because God is in his temple. Well, there wasn't even a temple yet. It was just actually a tabernacle. The point is this, that, that David, the source and the power of his throne was not Zion. It was not his palace. It was not his citadel. The palace, the source of 
David's power was, was in the tabernacle. It was in the place of worship. It was where he and Israel met together, offered sacrifice and worshiped God, and they lifted their hands unto God and surrendered their lives to a great Torah. They, they, they surrendered themselves to obedience, to a way of following him. So the source of their power wasn't their sword. But the funny thing was, when they were walking with him, then suddenly they found out, even as they swung their sword, that the power behind their sword, they swung it. They were involved. They were engaged. The enemy is coming at them. They're swinging their sword. But the power behind the sword was from their relationship with God in the tabernacle. Don't tell me I need to go to the mountains. I don't need to go to the mountains. Just get me to church. Get me to the place where people meet together and worship God together and study God together and encourage each other and pray for each other and worship together corporately. Just get, and I, you know, we don't have to gather in a building. I understand that. But get me to the assembly of the people. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. That one needs a little bit of explanation in the new covenant, right? Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone and burning winds will be the portion of their cup. I have a feeling David saw something in battle that absolutely he just stood back and said, that's none other than God. In verse 7, he sums it up, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, the upright will behold his face. i got to explain something to you. In the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, you see it, but throughout the Old Testament, there were really three types of people there were the righteous, the wicked, and then the Gentiles, or the nations, okay? So there was righteous people, there was wicked people, and there were the nations. Now, because we're in the New Testament, New Covenant, and we've been so taught by Paul and, and Jesus that uh, there is none righteous, no, not even one, you know, that we discount the word righteous because we think, whoops, <laughs> I'm a human being, don't look at me as being righteous. But it was actually code for the ones who loved God. The righteous were those who loved God. How about the wicked? Well, they're just the polar opposite. They're not the ones who are so unrighteous that they're wicked. No, it's not that. These are the ones who didn't love God. So we could say this is about the lovers of God and those who hate him. It's really that simple. David loved God. There were people who he considered wicked. How did he know they were wicked? Because they hated God. There were the lovers of God and those who hate God. I don't know. Maybe nothing's changed. But, you, you know, there's this vast group in the middle that is neither lovers of God nor, nor are they wicked. What are they? They're the assignment. They're the ones we're to be praying for. They're the ones we're to be reaching. They're the ones who can be reached. So if the lovers of God keep loving God, we're good. If the wicked say, I'm never going to love God, so okay, whatever, you know. But if you don't know where you are, then we want to talk to you. Anyways, so David says, if the fountains are destroyed, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the lovers of God do? That's, that's the thing. And he knows in the back of his mind that God will deal with the wicked in his own way, in his own time, however he chooses to do that. It's not for me to figure out. But this I will say for those of us who consider ourselves to be righteous, then I'm going to say let's answer the rhetorical question. What can the righteous do? Number one, this is rocket science, guys. You're going to have to really pay attention here. You're <clears throat> going to have to really think deep on this. <clears throat> if the foundations are in danger of being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Answer, be righteous. <laughs> Continue loving God. Continue 
loving God. Continue living your lives as he taught you, as Jesus taught you. Continue. One of the greatest obstacles to the devil is people loving God. Second, what can the righteous do? Help other people become righteous. I told you this is rocket science now. You know, We're getting really, really deep. This is like NT right level stuff right now. Why use five words when 50 will do? I love him. He's great. We're to make disciples. That is part of the assignment, right? Go make disciples. How did you find yourself loving God? Somehow, some way, a message was communicated. Somehow, some way, the Spirit of God found your heart, and you found yourself saying yes to Jesus. And that means following Him. Guess what? Part of following Him is helping other people to follow Him. We could stop there. If the foundations are being destroyed, even though the rocks give way, even though the earth itself give way, you know, if we've made the Lord our refuge, then so here's the thing is that we should just continue in our righteousness and we should be throwing out lifelines to others who may be willing to become lovers of God as well. We certainly should be reaching our children. We certainly should be reaching our families. We certainly should be reaching our neighbors and friends. We certainly should be reaching out to the families around us. We certainly ought to be. That's, that's a given. It, it, it takes more work, but it is still good work to go further than that. But why don't we just start with our families? Why don't we just start there? So I, I just want to take a burden off of all of you. Listen especially for the moms and those who consider themselves to be just a housewife or just a homemaker or just a mom, let me tell you there is no greater responsibility on the planet than that, just raising your children to know and to love Jesus. By the way, what if they didn't? What if you missed that chance or that window? Don't you ever give up. I have been told by good authority um, the Lord has uh, just uh, shared this in my spirit, not, that, that mother's prayers go to the top of the list. Mom's prayers for their kids go to the top of the list. They go, they, go, they go right up there. They're right beside the person who's about to die and says, oh my God, you know, right next to that person is mom's prayers. Hallelujah. Dad's prayers are usually more like, oh, my God, what did we do? <laughs> and God just laughs and says, that's a part of the program, you know. This is, it's for your discipleship. It's for you <laughs> to have children, you know. All right. Third and last, what can we do? I, I'm just going to shamelessly put a plug in here is to say, okay, like, if we're to be righteous and if we're to help other people become righteous, then I'm just going to shamelessly say, let's do it together. As the church, don't give up. Don't run home. This is the answer. This is the answer. Oh, I'm going to just go over the edge and say, this is the only answer. Well, there's Mars, but this is the only one that makes sense. What can the church do besides discipling? Can I just correct something? I, for so long, the church has had this challenge, and I know this. I mean, we, we've got many challenges, but one of them is, is people bringing their kids and dropping them off at the church and saying, you please do something with the kids, you know. Do, you know, I want them to be wonderful Christian people. And, and, and we have invested so heavily in children's ministry and youth ministry and 
the camps and all the things. By the way, statistically, more kids are baptized in the Holy Spirit in camps than any other place on the planet. So send them to camp, you know. But we've invested so much in trying to reach children. And I'm just going to tell you, I have for the longest time had this strong, strong conviction that God actually wants to heal families. He knows that moms and dads, even when they think they're not capable, are the most capable in reaching their children. They have the most invested, they have the most authority, and God wants to come and be your partner in discipling your kids. Reach your kids. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with giving them some work to do around the church. Little to older, it's, it's great. Let them have, you know, we need to turn the church over to the, to the young. You know. you know the old saying that youth is wasted on the young? That's a very old saying. I'm studying things like that right now. Youth is wasted on the young. How about this? Uh, the church is often wasted on the old. We should really just actually turn the church over to the young. We should let the young be a part, partner with us together. How are they going to learn? How are they going to learn? I understand they need instruction. I understand they need guidance, etc. All of that. Yes, amen. But let's, um, let's encourage our families to reach their children. So that means partnering together. <clears throat> Can I shamelessly recommend this church it's as good as any right got a questionable pastor but we've got a great worship team now the thing is in Judy and I's lifetime I, I I you know share with you before God that Judy and I have sent more people back to their churches than we ever invited to our own. And it's because people had a connection there. Okay, so now I'm just like at this place where I'm in crunch mode. I want to get everybody trained, everybody equipped, everybody free, everybody enjoying Jesus, everybody involved in the mission. And I don't know where that's going to happen other than here. It's happening other places, thank God. But this is the one I've got responsibility for. Would you please stand with me? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, it turns out quite a lot. Quite a lot. We can live our lives righteously. You know, we never live to be seen of other men how we live our lives. But you shouldn't be ashamed of it either. Just, Just live your life as Jesus is leading you. Just live unashamedly for Jesus Christ. We said a couple of weeks ago, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. And by the way, if you need help, let us help you. If you need help, let someone else know. They would like to help you. There are people here who have even more time than I do that would love to help you. There's people here who would love you. There's people here who would pray for you. Those of you watching online, there are people here who desperately, desperately want to connect with you any way we can. We desperately want to. We, we want you to know. In almost 30 years of ministry, I've never looked back. In almost 30 years of ministry, I've never regretted the decision to follow Jesus. In almost 30 years of ministry, I've had the privilege of watching God change lives in so many ways, so many, so many ways. In 30 years of ministry, I feel like we're just getting started. Let's do it together. Amen. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this great time together. Thank you for this wonderful host of people. It is a great honor. It's a great privilege. 
to serve the people of God. It's a great honor and privilege to serve you by loving people. So we want to do that well. We want to do that well. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the Bible, God's got a well done, and then he's got a very well done. We want to do this and hear a very well. We want to hear, not only is this good, but it's very good. There's a city outside these walls, Lord Jesus. We walk past them. We drive past them. We walk the dog past them. We see them. We wave. We say hi. I thank you for my new friend, Steve. worshiping over in St. Michael's. He loves you, Jesus. He loves you so much. He is such an honorable man. He's such a man of peace. He's been so kind to me. Lord, would you be kind to him today? I'm not asking that you bring Steve and his family out of the church, I'm asking that you begin with Steve and his family and transform a church that needs Jesus in a very powerful way. That dog of his is a mess, Lord. He's unruly. Barks at my dog, but he was the method that you used to bring Steve and I together. Thank you for that dog. Cast all the demons out of him. Father, I pray for Steve and his family and his influence in the in the city. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in his life. And I see the fingerprints of God all over him. I can't wait to see what you do in Steve's life. Lord, I thank you for Max, my new friend. Pray for him. Pray, Lord Jesus. his hungry heart to find its rest in you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for those two ladies that I see almost every evening. Walking the dog. They love my dog. May they love my Lord. Father, I pray for Jesus to visit them in their homes. Lord, we're asking right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you just begin a series of divine connections where, where the righteous understand, those lovers of God understand that there's a very big assignment on us and we're not about to drop the baton because we believe that Jesus is a refuge place for the human heart. It's where we can be safe. It's where we can be healed. It's where we can be changed and transformed, Lord. So I pray for Cornerstone, Lord Jesus. I'm asking that you just continue to bless our elders, our leaders. We pray, Lord Jesus, for our production team, Lord. We pray your blessing on them, our worship team, Lord Jesus, your blessing on them, our teachers, Lord, teaching our children, Lord, we pray your blessing on them. Father, we're asking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you continue 
to expand not just the footprint but the reach of this of this body of believers we ask all these things in Jesus name oh one more thing Father I ask that as we make Jesus our refuge that crumbling foundations would be made strong again for Christ's sake.